This is a good for profit special episode with your host, Mo. Today, we're going to talk about team and culture. And the reason why is because reflecting on past startup experiences that I've had, I've come to realize that team is by far the most important thing to building a successful startup. It's something that we hear a lot written in books, mentioned by a lot of incredible people, experienced founders and investors. And truthfully, until one goes through the experience of trying to start something, it's very difficult to really comprehend how important it is to have the right people around you, to have the right team and the right culture in place. And knowing how to do that can be quite tough. And so today we are bringing the best bits and some of the best advice from a couple of previous guests to talk about how they do it. And why is culture so important? Well, the culture piece is so important because ultimately it's what keeps people um, motivated in the day to day and excited about their work. Um, like if someone were to ask a friend like, oh, do you enjoy their job? Obviously the, the work part is, is an element of it. But if they're not wrapped around with people that they enjoy spending time with and they don't feel like they're working towards this kind of collective mission and part of a, of a core team, then essentially, you know, the excitement really, really fades. So there it is in someone else's words. But I also think that culture is the most important thing, like I said. So how does one go about building a great culture and what does it mean to have a great culture? These are things that we'll cover today. And I'd like us to start with the following. When we first went out for our last round, the intention was that we would actually spend and grow faster. Okay. And we very quickly made the decision, well, actually, the market's changing here. We're going to run a little bit more lean. Mm. And it wasn't that we were downsizing, but it was that rather than we had a very aggressive hiring plan, we just slowed that hiring plan down. And we found that actually we could go a lot further than we thought with the team that we had. And without necessarily having to make significant investments, inf infrastructure investments. So we've managed to do that. So we've, we've managed to keep our yeah. monthly burn um, quite static, mm. but we've continued to grow. Um, it means everybody's working pretty hard. Yes. Um, <laughs> but, you know, of course, that's where it comes down to having a really high performing team and making sure that everyone's really driving for the results that matter. So on that point you were making just now, where it's really important to try and get that balance right, which means people are going to work harder and, you know, they're going to have to obviously believe in what you're doing. But also you touched a little bit on culture and team earlier. So it's pretty obvious that, you know, culture plays a really important role within startups because everybody does usually have to work a little bit harder than you normally would in a corporate environment as well. But, you know, for you guys, what role does this sort of culture and team play into just everything that you're doing and how you're able to grow and sustain good growth and not shorten your runway too much, um, but also just in terms of kind of team retention and being able to keep people on board and bring more people on and so on? Team culture for me is just so important. Mm. Getting the, just getting the right group of people that can interact really well together. It's definitely not just about having the right skill set on paper. When you go out to fundraise, investors mm. say, well, tell me about your team. They're not interested in whether you've got the right skills on paper. They want to know if you've got an actual team mm. that really works well together that can work for each other, that understand the mission, that are capable of driving for the results that you need. And getting that is really hard. It's okay. really, really hard to try and get that balance right. Mm. But if you don't get it right, that's the thing that's going to kill your business. 
So trying to work out actually how you can get the right group of people. And I think ultimately that comes down to having a really clear mission and a vision, really understanding what are the ways of working that you're trying to create. And, you know, do we all kind of share the same values? Do we share the same work ethic? What I've tried to do is to create a culture at Sharesy where people don't feel micromanaged, Mm. that they understand what they have to do, but Mm. then they're given the autonomy and the agency to be able to just get on with their job and to do do a good job. And if they need help, then there's a support network around them, Mm. but they have the freedom to do it. And of course, with that comes accountability. So you have to be accountable for your numbers. If you fail, we fail together. So I really love that bit about when we fail, we fail together. I was really moved when Felix mentioned that on the episode because it shows true leadership and it's something that I'm learning from just by sitting there and uh, having a conversation with him. However, it's also really important to balance that out with accountability. We need to be able to talk about it openly. It happens to all of us. If you, if you miss numbers, that's okay. So what can we do to try and address it? The worst thing is where you have the accountability mm. for the result, but you don't have the autonomy and the agency to be able to actually work how you see fit. And I think that's where you can start to create a toxic work environment. This episode is brought to you by EcoSwap. EcoSwap is bringing together the UK's favorite eco-friendly high street brands onto a single gift card, allowing you to give the gift of choice, where your loved ones can choose from brands such as The Body Shop, Rituals, Toast Brewing, The National Trust, and many, many more. And our gift to our listeners is 10% off your first purchase with EcoSwap when you use the code GOODFORPROFIT at checkout. What sets EcoSwap apart is their commitment to sustainability and ethics. They meticulously curate their brand selection, ensuring that each one meets rigorous standards set by esteemed certifiers such as B Corp, 1% for the Planet, Climate Neutral, or they're a UK registered charity. With EcoSwap, you're not just giving a gift. You're choosing to support the UK's best brands that are genuinely committed to benefiting both people and planet. So go ahead, give an EcoSwap gift card today. Visit ecoswap.uk and use the code GOODFORPROFIT at checkout. That's good for profit with no spaces for your 10% off your first order today. Before we dive into um, how to go about hiring the right people, let's talk a little bit about what a good culture versus a bad culture might look like. I've seen Anne worked in some companies where the culture is honestly horrific um, to the point where you are desperate to get out of work at the end of the day and you're dreading it when you're going in in the morning. And I, and I actually think that it's quite interesting when you look at the kind of high growth startup rhetoric because a lot of that, I think, revolves around all grind, no fun, um, and can sometimes actually foster a really toxic workplace culture. Um, and I've seen that in the past. So I think then when I came to me actually, you know, starting my own business um, and dictating the culture that exists in a startup. I was like, I want to create a space where obviously people are super passionate, whether, you know, values align. Um, I've seen and, and, and worked in, in some companies where the culture is honestly like horrific um, to the point where you are desperate to get out of work at the end of the day. 
and you're dreading it when you're going in in the morning um because and i and i actually think that it's quite interesting when you look at the kind of high growth startup rhetoric because a lot of that i think revolves around all grind no fun um and can sometimes actually foster a really toxic workplace culture um and i've seen that in the past so i think then when it came to me actually you know starting my own business um and dictating the culture that exists in a startup i was like i want to create a space where obviously people are super passionate whether you know values align where we're high growth and we've got really kind of bullish stats that we want to hit but people are still having fun and achieving that balance can be quite difficult so Holly talks about how difficult it is to achieve that balance sometimes. However, they do very interesting things at the company that I thought is really worth touching on um, because they seem to get that balance right in many ways. Maybe we can't say that it's right for everyone, but at least it's right for them. And we'll come onto that debate a little bit later on in this episode. But let's first hear about how they go about achieving that balance in the company. There is also a line that you have to be careful sure. not to cross as well when it comes to vulnerability. So to give you an idea, we we did like a real big 360 feedback piece just before the end of the year. Um, and it took like a stop, start, continue structure. So literally everyone uh, contributed to one another's stop, start, continue. Um, and as you can imagine, it's literally the case of you being like, stop doing this, start doing this, continue doing this. And what we did is we actually distributed that sort of asynchronously so silently everyone completed it then everyone had the opportunity to review all of the comments that they'd received um themselves it was in a shared document so everyone could read everyone's but you had the opportunity to digest it wasn't anonymized no um and then the following day we then had a session that was dedicated towards people actually sort of zooming in and breaking down the feedback that they'd received. And it's important to note as well that under every topic, people also wrote their own feedback for themselves. Um, So I would be like, I need to start doing this, stop doing this, which always adds like an interesting um, layer of self-awareness as well. Absolutely. The blind spots come out, right? (laughs) Exactly. Um, But before we started um, the in-person session, we also made it really clear to everyone that it was, it's obviously completely up to them, you know, which pieces of feedback they've received that they want to zoom in, in on. And when we talk about being yourself, you still need to create a space where people feel comfortable and different people have a different um, willingness, I suppose, to be vulnerable. And it's, it's, just, it's just natural, right? And the ask is kind of, you know, you can be vulnerable depending on what your definition of that is in the same way that if someone was to come in one morning and we were doing like a pulse check like how are we feeling this morning if someone said oh, I'm really not feeling great today now someone that is really comfortable being vulnerable might be like I'm, I'm not feeling great today you know someone in my family is struggling with this that or the other and might feel really comfortable telling that whole story but someone else might not now the way that we would kind of tackle that is instead the ask is if you're saying oh I'm not feeling good today if you don't feel comfortable exposing why then just explain to the team exactly that 
I'm not feeling particularly comfortable like to explain why it's a personal issue. Um, this is how best that you can support me. Now, without pushing someone to a point of feeling uncomfortable and kind of, you know, tipping them over their threshold, you're still creating this culture where people feel like they can be honest and vulnerable and be themselves Which is um, the in how they're behaving. Thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's not we're not we're not expecting everyone to like declare their greatest secrets um, and walk around um, behaving in exactly the same way by any means. <laughs> that, that's great. And that's really good to hear because that would also be a version of toxic, if anything, really. So perhaps the definition of toxic can really go both ways. You know, having a culture where everybody has to be open and vulnerable all the time, even if they don't feel like it, that doesn't sound like a fun place to be. But at the same time, being completely closed off and not able to communicate in a certain way, not being able to communicate why someone is feeling a certain way or perhaps being passive aggressive at work and so on, that's also not so much fun. So finding that balance in the middle is quite important. Now, the question is, how does one go about that? Because that's not something that will come naturally to every startup. There is effort and work that needs to go into building that culture. And so we'll go back to Holly again, which talks about how they use certain rituals and things at work to build that transparency and trust between their team members. We have really um, abstract, I suppose, rituals as a team and trying to, I suppose, make sure that we create the time and space for both hard work, but also fun and bonding and feedback and transparency. And I think that actually that transparency piece is what underpins everything that we're doing at Naya. So people talk about, you know, 360 feedback and how valuable it is, but actually being able to create a workplace where people feel comfortable, not only telling someone when they've done an incredible job, which obviously comes naturally to a lot of people, um, but also being able to really frankly turn around to someone and, you know, suggest improvements um, and areas where perhaps you would have done something differently. Um, it, it can be a lot harder. And I think it's all deep rooted in trust. If you can create a culture where people trust each other so much that they know whatever is coming out of the person's mouth is in the best interest of your, that individual, but also of the company as a whole, then suddenly you find that there's not as much getting it sort of in your way. Certainly then everything that does get in your way is stuff that sits out of your control. Um, but you as a team can then kind of move collectively um, in a single direction. So, yeah, I'm not sure if I've explained that very clearly. No, absolutely. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna dive deeper because the, this is so this is so interesting. And, and the thing is, it's very hard to do this. It's very hard to actually implement those things. Um, how do you build trust between a bunch of people who don't know each other, who've happened to land on this? mission that they're on at the same time. I mean, the fact that you're an, uh, an impact startup in some way helps a lot because there's that shared mission, right? Yeah, but 100%. Beyond that, how do you build that trust? And especially how do you do it, quote unquote, up the chain of command, if that makes sense? Yeah, um, the, the impact piece is definitely at, at the core of it. And we had, I mean, to give you an idea, we had a session last week, again, start of the year, um, where we all kind of came together um, and basically we're talking about our why. Um, you know, why do you want to be building this company? Um, you know, why are you motivated every day to actually 
um, you know, try and support the communities that we work with. Um, and by actually unsurfacing the kind of more gritty conversations, you're able to start being really vulnerable with each other. And everyone says, right, you know, the best relationships are formed off of vulnerability and you need to create a space, you know, where people, it's like psychological safety, I think, especially in the workplace and where you talk about moving up and down a chain, you need to create psychological safety before people feel like they can be vulnerable to then create that that trusting relationship. So that's why I think actually the rituals piece is, is super important because it's the environment and the meetings that you set up as a team. So for example, every Friday we all come together as a team and not in a normal office setting. So it's much more kind of like laid back um, and a good chunk of Friday is dedicated towards us talking about, you know, what what's what's making you like mad at the moment in life. It, it doesn't even have to be work related, but also outside of it. And we use the mad, sad, glad framework, but we're encouraging people to actually talk about life as well as just like the what they're doing in the office, you know, nine to five or whatever. Um, and so then you start to build these kind of deeper relationships. Um, and because you're removing yourself from a more typical work setting, you kind of just see everyone relax a bit, you know, um, and it's a really nice way to end the week on a high, you know, we uncover some of the challenges that people are facing um, and we celebrate the highlights and then we all go our separate ways um, and then obviously reconvene on a Monday, super re-energized and like there's nothing that we're holding. It just feels lighter. So culture and team, it's not just about building the right culture, but it's also about hiring the right people. And the question is, how do you go about, first of all, putting the right things in place? How do you decide on the kind of culture that you want? And how do you go about hiring the right people? And what are some of the things that we should think about? Let's have a look. You're responsible for hitting numbers, but you can't call the shots. Then it's very disempowering. Yeah. So that's what we're trying to do. And it's really difficult. But with that, actually, I've always had an attitude that if you're in a startup, it's quite difficult to hire very experienced people. Mm. And the reason for that is, first of all, they're expensive. So if mm. you're in a startup, you don't have a lot of money to play around with. Yeah. So you need people at a level that you can afford, first yeah. of all. But also, if you're hiring very experienced people, sometimes they want to manage as opposed to roll their sleeves up and get yep. stuck in. Yep. And sometimes they might be a bit of an expert in one specific thing, mm -hmm. but in the early days of a startup, you really want all-rounders. Yeah. So actually what we've done is we've focused on hiring up-and-comers, rising stars, people that are smart, really capable, and we have an idea for what we want them to do, but then that evolves. Mm. And then the idea, of course, is that you bring people in and then you can develop them, you can give them lots of career opportunities to progress. Again, that's not easy to always get right, but that's the intention at least. Yeah. And for that reason, we've got quite a nice balance there. So we have a few senior heads in the team, but then mm. we've got lots of rising stars and people that are really proving themselves. And that has become the engine of the company, which is, which is really cool to see. 
By the way, if people haven't listened to your tech story episode, I'd recommend that people go and check that out. You sort of go into a really interesting amount of details around the company and building and raising and so on. And so definitely useful for people that are looking to create businesses right now to have a, a listen. But one of the things you talked about on there, which we don't have to go into the details of that at all, but just very quickly, you know, you had to take time off for one reason or another, and the company still ran pretty well when you were away, which is definitely a testament to what you're saying and giving people autonomy. And, and I suppose if you can step away from the business and everything still runs just fine, things have been put together pretty well. So, Yeah, well, right at the beginning of lockdown two, I took six weeks out. Yep. My son wasn't very well for a period of time. I spent six weeks in Great Ormond Street. Sorry. And at that time, yeah. we had just made some senior hires. The team was able to continue growing. Yeah. And I think... It's and a, that's it, incredible. It's at moments yeah. like that where you yeah. realize that you're creating something which is able to grow and develop. And of course, what yeah. you're trying to do is to create something that can do it without you. Yes, exactly. So that's when you know that you're you're on the right path. Now, the business is in a very different place. Mm. But of course, you know, I've come from a corporate world. So I, yes. you know, early in my career, I worked for very big companies and I've got steadily smaller and smaller. <laughs> you know, you don't even think about that when you're working in a big corporate because there's so much infrastructure around you. Right. But when you're in a tiny team, mm. you know, you take one person yeah. out and that's, you know, that's a big chunk of the company. So, you know, working in a startup is quite an extreme environment in that way. Yeah. But being able to manage that must be quite difficult just because it's the sort of, how do you know how much autonomy to give versus how much help to support with in a, in a way. It's sort of like, how do you think about it? Because obviously you seem to do this quite well. So I'm curious how you think about it so that others maybe can learn from it. The, the main thing for me is not to fear failing. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a real advocate for that. I, you know, if you fail, it means that you're learning. It means that you're trying it. It doesn't matter if you get it wrong, so long as you learn from it, and then you can use that to develop and, and take the next step. So, and that's the same for everybody. If you're in a culture where you fear failing, mm. then you're never going to test and learn. You're never going to push the boundaries. So when hiring, these are important things to keep in mind. You know, what's the balance going to look like? What sort of balance do you want to have in your company? And how do you go about finding the right people that will fit those things, that have those qualities that like to have autonomy and ask for support when they need it as well, that are not afraid to fail and experiment and go and try new things. And another important thing to consider when hiring is diversity and the role that diversity plays. Let's have a quick look at that. What would you say is the biggest benefit of having diversity and trying to actually get that done early on? You know, your, your, your team should really be representative of the market that you're serving. We have in our team people who have very lived experience of, of some of the challenges that, you know, our, our users are facing. And in just mm. the same way of like a big corporate company, you know, a corporate company that operates, you know, is headquartered out of London, they, when you think about the, the diversity that exists in, in London's population, like you, you should be reflecting that in your team. It's taken companies mm. long enough to try and strike up like 50-50 gender balance, but it goes so much further than that. So yeah, I think yeah. that would probably be the biggest piece of representation for sure. I guess you touched on a really important point there and that is kind of having empathy. And if you're a startup and you're building out something for your customers, you ought to have incredible empathy for your users and who you're building for because that's how you build something that they really want and they want to use and that they that will help them the most in whatever it is that they're trying to accomplish in a way also having that diversity on your team it's almost like a like a boost to that to you having that sort of empathy toward your customers and end users as well yeah which then just is a boost to getting validation right 
So we've talked a bit about hiring, but the question is, how do you go about looking at targets? How do you go about celebrating successes, failures, and so on? Um, that's another very important thing that comes to mind when thinking about building a great team and building a great culture. When you go out to hire, naturally, a founder has to go and think about, okay, well, what is the goal of this role? Why are we hiring for this role? And so naturally, the targets piece is definitely going to come in handy. And Felix had some interesting thoughts to share on this. We got it wrong a lot. We set the wrong targets, um, set expectations for us and for our investors. And it was about, you know, failing and learning through. So, mm. so absolutely, we've, we've. So you have missed, okay. We, we've, we've missed plenty. Yeah. H how do you cope with that though? How, and how do you make sure that people don't kind of, don't feel defeated or crushed on the, you know, we keep setting these targets and missing them. How do you kind of deal with that? Both personally for you, but also the team around you. So, of course, um, I feel it a lot. That is, I think, the nature of, you know, being being a founder and sort of living and breathing it. But everybody, I think, feels it to some degree. Mm. But the important thing is that if we succeed, we succeed as a team. And if we fail, we fail as a team. And it's never on one individual. Mm. Um, so what we've tried to do is to constantly think about how we can continue to grow and we have you know consistent linear growth but what we're also looking for are those step changes in growth and those and those moments where we can do something that's slightly different that unlocks new opportunity um so missing a target is absolutely fine as long as it is sparking creativity and enabling us to keep moving forward. And that's what we found. I, I would actually flip it on its head and say, when we're hitting targets, mm. we don't stop and celebrate them enough. We just go on. Hmm. We're just thinking about what's the next target. Right. Uh, and I'm terrible for that. Okay. You know? So, <laughs> okay. you know, if you, if you, if you, you know, hit a big target and get a big moment, then it's about stopping and saying, actually, Guys, this was big, and you know that happened to us earlier this year when we mm. had we had hit um, the million pounds of uh, GMV, uh, uh, yeah, of, wow. of, of um, money generated for communities. Incredible! And um, it was at the end of the month. We were like, "Oh, that happened two weeks ago," huh. and we were like, "Oh, let's have a quick drink." And we had a quick drink, and then we moved on. And mm. it was like, "Well, actually, no, that was a big moment. Mm. We, that was a, that was a really seismic moment where we could say." We've come a long way. You yeah. know, the average booking for you know hiring out a uh, a school hall yeah. is two hundred and forty pounds. Oh wow! So okay. that's a lot so of that's bookings. a lot of bookings. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, that's you a know, big big and, number. And we have we have some wow. space, smaller spaces that can be significantly less than that. Mm. You know, so some spaces can be, you know, twenty or thirty pounds. You know, so that's a lot of bookings that's, yeah. a lot, that's a lot of attraction yeah absolutely um, that, congratulations by the way well yeah that's i mean this, this was this was a while ago and it and, yeah. and, and actually you know <laughs> wow. um we had to stop and and take a breath and, and just to think about actually what that means so there you have it celebrating success looking at targets one other very key thing that comes up a lot with startups is around pivoting as a team when you're building a startup naturally you're most likely going to pivot at some point or another. The question is how to go about doing that, how to make sure the team doesn't feel like they're changing direction too much. How do you make sure it doesn't feel too top down? These are some of the things that can be quite hard to get done properly, but that's exactly why we have experienced founders here talking about this to share with you. 
Did you feel like whenever you needed to pivot, there was always buy-in from the team and the co-founders and everybody else? I actually do think that there is a way of delivery. Um, you also want to obviously make sure that the team are really confident in the direction of the business and that they are really brought into it. Quite quite often as co-founders, so the three of us will like come together and we'll um, look at these bigger ideas. And we're talking more, you know, the, the much longer term direction of of the organization. Like when I said that booking.com structure, right? Like, are we even considering these other pillars? What do they look like? Because also that that's what feeds into investor conversations. That's what investors care about, the kind of longevity piece. And we will make sure between the three of us that we're really aligned and really clear on what direction we want to go in and above anything, why? So that if there's ever a need to communicate a big change with the team, it doesn't come as a shock. Um, because and, and to be honest, this has come from from learning. So um, in any of the kind of changes that have come subsequently, we've made sure that when these really big ideas come about, they're held until the confidence is there that we can actually go out and be like, right team, this is what we're thinking. What do you think? You know, getting their input so that they don't feel like they're just being dragged along um, on that journey. And and also get, getting their input and ideas is is hugely important. Like, like I was saying earlier, you know, they, they, they all have their own touch points with different parts of the business. So yeah, I would say the only kind of process there is just making sure that you're having the right conversations with the right people at the right time. So that also goes back to the diversity piece where if you involve the team in these decisions and run things by them and get them involved, well, if you've hired a diverse team that is very empathetic toward your customers and your users, then they will also have incredible information to feed in to these conversations. But also the team should be, as well as you as founders, they also should be close to the ground and knowing you know what is the most important information that we need to know right now as a startup because as a startup you're moving very fast and everything has to be super user-centric so the whole team should in my opinion have knowledge of what is most important to your users and be updated on that on a regular basis and so if you're doing all those things right then involving them with these decisions and with these conversations at least is also going to be very very handy and very helpful for your company so what about working remotely versus working in the office that's something that again comes up and I have my own thoughts around this and different founders have different thoughts on this. We will have seen great debates happening around this in the media where, you know, uh, big founders of huge companies are looking to bring everybody back in the office and do things around, you know, how do we make sure we can work effectively remotely? Should every team be remote or not? And it's an ongoing debate, but let's hear some thoughts on this debate. One of the big challenges for us was about actually how we spend time together as a team. Mm. So it was quite interesting because when we were during uh, lockdown, you know, the members of my team were saying, well, when are we going to have a place to go so that we can have an office? We want to be together. So we got an office and then the, the next bit of feedback was, well, I don't want to be in the office all the time. I want to be able to work remotely. And so actually trying to find that balance has been an interesting one. We now have an office which is 
our own space, which is great. We've we've put our sign on the wall, and it wow. you know it feels like that our, must feel really nice. It yeah. feels like our home, which is really nice. And the, my dog comes in, and oh. you know it's a nice place to be. But we've settled on three days in the office, so Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays, we're all together. If you're coming in, you know that other members of the team will mm. be there. It's a really nice vibe in the office. You know, there's lots of laughing and joking and you have time to concentrate, but you can also have conversations. And then Mondays and Fridays are for you to decide. So some people come in and some people work from home. That's completely your choice. But we don't clock watch. We're never mm -hmm. expecting people to be in at certain times. If you want to go to the gym mid-morning or you want to go and take a walk or start early or start late or whatever you want to do, then it's completely your choice. Do you find that people tend to be around the same sort of time or do people just have very mixed schedules? I think it's quite mixed. And as long as there's you know some core hours where everybody is together and we don't even define those, we let people define them for themselves. And they're able to have the time with their with their colleagues that they need, mm. then that's fine. We've got a little gym in the office, and you know downstairs, and you know th there's nice stuff in the area. We've got opportunities to be able to hang out. So, you know, I feel like that's a really nice balance. Equally, I know lots of businesses that are fully remote, yep, and they will get together for specific team time, and that mm. works very well for them. My personal feeling is that. When you are at the stage of a startup where you are working out what it is that you do, yes. I mean, we feel like we've now got product fit, mm -hmm. but even still, we are solving problems on a daily basis and having that, having the ability just to be able to turn around and talk to someone, tap someone on the shoulder and have a conversation is so much better than speaking over a yeah. video call. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, I, I really feel that when you're, when you're talking on a, um, I can't remember the percentages now, but there's something mm. about when you are interacting with someone and yeah. like, you know, the, the most important um, aspect of that communication is in body language. Yeah. Well, you lose that yeah. over a video call. So, you know, we need that human interaction and human interaction is really the whole concept of Sherzy. So I feel like we should be living that too. And That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Well, wow, to bring together, because ultimately as a team, you are a community, right? That's coming together to create something that they, they want to do. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And, and it's really interesting to hear your thoughts on the whole kind of remote work thing, because obviously there is there are mixed thoughts right now um, in the UK, in Silicon Valley, in different places. People are trying different approaches. Um, but I definitely echo your sentiment around just the ability to come up with ideas and brainstorm as a group together in my experience, is so much better than doing it over over a call. It's just what we will get done over a call, you know, what, what will take quite a few calls and a long time to do can be done in a couple of hours in the office. Yeah, I mean, I would say that the main objective for having people in the office together is about building the, the that reliance on one another yeah. and that support network and the camaraderie and having those. It's like the micro-interactions. Yes. It's being able to just have a small joke or a quick drink together or just to have a quick chat about something that's on your mind, mm. um, which just isn't so easy when you're remote and you don't think about it. Um, and of course, there are benefits to working remotely. You can go and you know do other things for yourself when you're around your home, but it doesn't have to be either or yeah. necessarily. So it's about trying to find that balance. And you know, for first jobbers or people that are young, you know, earlier in their career, yeah, exactly. this is all they've ever known. Yeah. Yeah, I, you absolutely. know, when I when I was um, at that stage of my career, there was no discussion around it. Everybody no, was in the office yeah. <laughs> and, you know, 
um, you you worked you know long hours and uh, it was very rigid. Yep. Um, I was always pushing back against that because I felt like that was too rigid. Okay. And that's why I feel like we have a balance now where um, you know you can choose the time that you're in, mm. but you know that when you're in together everybody's going to be in together yeah. and there's benefit to that too. So there we have it, folks. We've talked quite a lot about culture, hiring, how to go about setting the right metrics and targets in place and how to think about hiring the right people. Now, one of the things that comes up as well is about when you're choosing to do the hiring, so if we step back a little bit, how do founders go about doing the hiring? And is it the case that founders tend to go after hiring people that they know they will work well with because the founders themselves know how they like to work? Do they go hunting for the people that will work well with their existing work style? And that's something that is another debate that's ongoing at the moment. Should founders do that? Should they not? Do founders do that? Do they not? Let's hear some thoughts around this from, again, Holly. And following this one, I'd really like to end on and open the discussion to you as an audience around the debate on whether there is a right or wrong culture for a startup. But first, let's hear about culture around founders, and then we'll come back to that one later. What do you think of the idea that each founder will know what is the best way to work and what is the best way to do things based on their experience and what they've seen? And they almost go and hunt for people that feel the same way. Do you think that tends to be the case? Yeah, 100%. It's difficult because I think in the startup space, when you're a really small team, and when you're just starting out, I think most entrepreneurs are like, I just want to surround myself by my friends, people that I really quickly click with who operate like me. And it's kind of understandable, right? We're, we're all human. We all naturally gravitate towards people like ourselves. It's just affinity bias. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily say that that is the right way, obviously, the whole premise of, of what we're building at Naya is that everyone should have fair access and a, and a fair shot. Um, and as a result, the team that we've built is incredibly diverse, both in background, but also in thought. And the power in that is just huge. And I, I mean, above and beyond what goals we're achieving and kind of like the map out of skill sets, but even in terms of like, when you're sitting around having lunch together, you're actually learning about different cultures and different perspectives. And it's just super refreshing. And I think that a lot of early stage founders would really benefit from kind of opening their eyes to that sooner rather than later. I think a lot of companies will hit like, you know, series B and suddenly think, oh, actually, we should probably, you know, take a look at the Not diversity of our team. Bit. Yeah, exactly. It goes back to that business case, right? Like we're not here to tick boxes. Um, it actually does make a difference. It does happen quite a lot where the founders will tend to build the culture around them to make sure that it's a team that they can work with. With that being said, that doesn't mean that you don't improve and grow as a founder and get better and do things in a better way. Uh, however, it does help a lot if you as a founder build your own team and get to work with people that you know you'll click with. That goes a long way and then you can grow and evolve together, of course. Next, I really want to touch on the slightly more controversial side of this whole talk around team and culture and, and so on. The idea that there is one right culture 
or a wrong culture. I don't want to say what my opinion is on this. I actually would love to hear from you and leave it up to you to decide what you think. And maybe let me know in the comments. Maybe let us know by reaching out to us. But I would love to end on one of the previous conversations that we had, again with Holly, where we touched on this and had a quick chat around it. There are a lot of different viewpoints around this sort of thing, vulnerability in the workplace and so on. Um, it's something that's in discussion that we're moving more and more toward a world where there is vulnerability in the workplace and so on. Whereas if you look at how things have been for the majority of the past X number of decades, it's just like, you know, work is work, life is life. That stays at home. You don't bring your emotional life into work. You're just here to work and get things done and then go home and do whatever you want after that. Um, and also an element of we need to be practical and grind and work hard and stopping and checking in and these things getting in the way. It's going to take up time and effort and so on. And we don't have the capacity to do that. We're a startup that's trying to get things done and work our backsides off to make sure we can achieve X, Y, and Z. So there is still a bit of a debate around that happening online. It seems that the world is moving more and more in a certain direction. I would love to get your thoughts around what you think of that debate as a whole. If I was to assume I'm on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, I'm expecting everybody to come in at 9am and leave at 9pm and do that six days a week. And then let's say I'm arguing that I'm saying that that's more efficient. We're going to get more things done because we're working more hours and eventually we'll outcompete you, let's say, right? What would you say back? I've worked in a company where that is the culture. It, you know, we got in every day at nine um, in the morning and we weren't allowed to leave until 11 at night. And that was just the expectation. And I had no idea, absolutely no idea when I signed up to the job. I moved country for it, got there, didn't know anyone in this country, first day on the job. Um, really young, I was like, oh, you know, what does your day-to-day -day look like? Um, standard question, trying to make friends. Anyway, this this guy turned around to me and said, oh, yeah, we get in this time, we leave in this time. Um, and I thought that he was joking. I was like, surely that's not it. Um, but it. But it really was. And as a result, I don't look back fondly on that experience at all don't get me wrong I learn as you learn in any job um but it's it, it actually put me off the whole industry um and wow yeah. I don't want to put you in the spot so you, you feel free to say no but can I ask yeah, yeah, yeah. what kind of industry it was or what kind of sector it was and you can say no like you don't have to yeah no no, no <laughs> of course so I was I was working in venture capital um which is obviously very interesting now as a founder um as running a startup that is fundraising um and it's also I guess giving me perspective in terms of like who I want to raise money from as well um, and the kind of teams and individuals um, that I want to be supporting us in our journey. Um, so that's kind of one extreme. And then on the other extreme, I've also worked in a startup where there was this kind of expectation that your team is your family and, you know, work is, you know, not that work is life, but um, it's it's almost like, the expectation that there is no divide between personal and professional boundaries mm. and I also really struggled in that work setting and it, at the beginning it felt incredible because mm. I was coming from that VC space um and the other extreme and all of Give a sudden love, I felt <laughs> supported and I was like yeah I've got friends at work like yeah we socialize all the time at work and um this is my life's purpose and everything like that. And you you would think that 
I would feel that now even more that I'm running a business, right? Like, you know, Naya is so much of my identity now, but I still don't want to create that culture here either because um, I don't think long-term it's sustainable because people need to be able to have their own life and their own outlet because work shouldn't become everything, whether it's constant grind or just somewhere to socialize and, and yeah you need to find that kind of place in the middle and i suppose families tend to have problems so exactly right <laughs> yeah like the whole thing is you can't choose your family um, and you need to be able to choose where you work so i would love to hear your thoughts on what you think we've given you examples from two founders who are building companies right now and they're incredible leaders i've personally learned so much from them when they're on the episodes with us and I wanted to really give you the examples so that you have some insight into how they go about team, culture, and hiring. Obviously, I would have loved to dive deeper into this, and we certainly will do more. If you like this episode, and if you like that, where we dive deeper into one particular topic, please let us know. Uh, we can dive into different areas of the business if you're interested. But I really would love to hear your thoughts on what your approach is and what you think on the debate of whether there is a one right type of culture. And it's a topic that I will dive further into with future guests. We will be looking to bring on people who are HR experts in the future to talk about this in more detail. It's an area that I'm interested in talking about because, like I said earlier on at the beginning of the episode, building a team is the most important thing. The people in the business are the most important thing behind the business uh, and whether it succeeds or not in the early days. So it's really important to be able to build a culture where the team is all bought into the idea, bought into the founders. They believe in the leadership. They love it. And they want to make it a success just like you do and as much as you do as a founder. And getting that right can be very difficult. And whether there is one size fits all is something that I will leave for the audience to decide and let us know in the comments and by reaching out to us. That was Good For Profit with your host, Mo. Thank you very much for listening. Support us, please like, share, subscribe, and send it to whoever you think will benefit from this episode or will be interested in listening to it. We are, of course, in the early days and we're trying to grow the podcast. And so every share and every like and every comment does go a very long way for us. So thank you very much for listening. And if you have any feedback, please let us know if you'd like certain topics covered or if you have entrepreneurs or investors or ecosystem leaders that you'd like to see on the podcast feel free to get in touch with us. The link will be in the description below this episode where you can leave feedback and also get in touch with us to let us know if there's somebody you'd like to see on the pod. Even if you have no direct connection with them, just let us know and our team will get on it to try and get them on here. Thank you very much for listening once again and hope to see you in the next one.